Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, and today you are listening to the last episode of 2021. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. And we are coming to you from Cape Coral, Florida. The Sword and Trowel is a ministry of Founders Ministries. You can find out more about us at founders.org. And welcome to this special podcast to close out the year. Yeah, we got a lot going on coming up in the next few weeks, the next month. Uh, as you all know, and as I'm sure you're all already registered, we have a conference coming up January 20th through the 22nd. That's our Founders National Conference here mm-hmm. in Fort Myers, Florida. So it's a great time to come down to Southwest Florida. Absolutely. Lots of sun, warm weather, beaches, all that. Rates do increase, though, however, at the first of the year. So you've got just a couple of days to register and get those discounted rates. Um, also, there's we have a pre-conference at Grace right. Baptist Church in Cape Coral. That's our church on the 19th. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so Vody Bachman will be there. Travis Allen, Pastor Tom will be there speaking about vocation and calling. So that's uh, January 19th at 6 p.m. Uh, registra- registration, I think, is $25. You that's can right. register on the uh, Founders website. Yeah, and we're looking forward to having you with us. And I'm going to be doing another table talk, something I did uh, last month just kind of as a test case, and it seemed to go well. So this will be an opportunity for fam members to send in questions, and we'll just have a kind of an informal dialogue. That's January the 4th, and if you're not a fam member, we would welcome you to come on board to support us. We're grateful for all of those who do support us. They enable us to do what we do as a ministry. And if you'd be willing to share this podcast, to like it, to subscribe, uh, that also helps us to get the word out more broadly. Well, today we're delighted to have Delano Squires with us. Uh, Delano is a new friend I've just met in the last few months, but I feel like I've known him for a while. In fact, uh, when I met him, I, I said, brother, I feel like I should have met you like 25 years ago or something, but then I realized you're, what, 26 years old or something? So, so <laughs> I mean, you're a little older than that. But uh, anyway, Delano is a scholar at the 1776, uh, what is the name of the project? 1776? 1776 Unites. Unites, okay, project. And then he's also a part of the Fearless Army with Jason Whitlock, which you may have uh, seen on Blaze TV. We're grateful for what he does. I, I don't know when I first started hearing about you, reading your materials, Delano, but man, I mean, everything I read, it was like, yeah, you know, this is so helpful. This is so good, both in the issues you're addressing and the way you address them, as well as just the content, the, the wisdom, hmm. the practical wisdom. So, brother, thank you so much uh, for joining us today on The Sword and the Trowel. Thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your yourself. I mean, I know you're married and you've got uh, at least one child, maybe a couple of children, right? Th- three. Three. So children. we have, um, um, my wife and I have been married for nine years. So we'll make 10 years in 2022. And we have a five-year-old daughter, uh, a three-year-old son, and then another son who will turn two in February. Wow. What a, what a bright household you must have. And, uh, <laughs> you know, never a dull moment around there. Graham's got exactly. kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, two and two, two and under. Yeah. Yeah. Two, so, two. Mm. so yeah, he was just talking about sleepless nights here a few moments ago. You <laughs> yeah. probably know something about that, right? Oh yes. You know, I still have sleepless nights, but not because of little kids in the house. So, you know, it just cycles <laughs> back as you get a little bit older. And uh, you have been, how, how long have you been writing about these kind of cultural issues uh, that now is what I know you by? When did you start doing that? So I, I actually started writing about 10 years ago. Um, I first started writing with a website called Black and Married with Kids. So I, the, the couple that created it 
um, wanted to provide more positive images of, of black families and um, in sort of the pop, pop culture space. Mm -hmm. So at the time I started writing with them, I was actually single. Um, yeah, I was, so I was only, <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I was the only single writer at, at that time. But it was, you know, relationship articles that sort of fused pop culture and faith. Um, so from there, I, I started to write for The Root. Mm -hmm. If some viewers, you know, may be familiar with The Root. Um, and then I wrote for The Griot, which is similar to The Root, you know, both sort of focus on, a, on you know, African-American sort of niche market. Mm -hmm. And then I, I had my own blog for a couple of years. I didn't write nearly enough. So I couldn't really justify paying, you know, the cost to continue, you know, standing up a blog. And then when I decommissioned that, I started to write a few pieces for the Federalist, including a review of Fault Lines, mm -hmm. um, which, which I think you, you may have seen. Mm -hmm. And then from the Federalist, I, you know, ended up, you know, hooking up with, with The Blaze. Yeah. So that's what I've been writing with The Blaze now since, ju since July of 2021. Okay. Yeah, well, man, we appreciate what you're writing. And uh, tell, before we get into some of that, uh, tell us, mm -hmm. how did you become a Christian? I mean, how did you come to know the that's Lord? A, that's a great question. So I I grew up basically my entire life um, in the church. Mm. So I, I grew up in New York City, in Queens, um, you know, with a family that we were basically, from since the time I can remember, we, we were in church. We started off in a basement church in Brooklyn. And then, you know, eventually merged with another church. Um, and, you know, I had a family that was, you know, very involved. You know, both my parents were are deacons, deacon, deaconess, so to speak. And, um, you know, I spent all my Sundays and most of my Fridays in youth ministry. I went off to college, University of Pittsburgh. And on September 16th, 2001, so five days after 9-11, I quote unquote walked down the aisle mm -hmm. um, and gave my life to the Lord. So th that is probably the most formal date that I can give in terms of when I would consider myself, you know, having been saved. Mm -hmm. But I, I was still very, very, you know, carnal in my mindset. Um, I wasn't really, you know, walking with God in, in the way that I should have been. And I feel like God just took me through you know, multiple seasons, you know, I would call them valley seasons. So um, by the time I became, you know, like a, an actual adult adult, um, I ended up, you know, at a church here in, in Maryland, was there for about 10 years and um, wanted to look for something that I felt was more theologically sound. And I ended up finding, you know, a, a church home. So where my wife and I are now is a, a small Baptist church right outside of the city. And so between, you know, September 16th, 2001 and December 20th, 2021, I would say that, you know, the Lord just grew me up, matured me, um, allowed certain things to fall away, allowed me to be more you know, mindful of, of his word mm -hmm. um, and just growing as a Christian. So, as I said, that date 20, almost 20 years ago um, is the date that I would give in terms of becoming a Christian. But I know that God, God was doing a refining work in my life mm -hmm. for basically the next 20 years um, to get me where I am today. Yeah. 
You know, Graham, you grew up in a Christian home and yeah. your dad's a pastor. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you've known all of your life. I had a godly mother that mm-hmm. uh, was very influential in my life. There's been a lot of uh, discussion over the last few years, you know, about deconstructing Christianity that kids mm. who grew up in Christian homes, Christian churches, uh, feel like they need to go through. I'm interested in both you guys. I mean, how do you evaluate your own upbringing in the light of where you are today, how God used that. I mean, obviously God's always providentially working in our lives, but uh, Graham, tell us a little bit just about how do you assess what God's done for you through your childhood? Yeah. I mean, I never would have considered deconstructing my faith because I know I would have gotten it from my mama. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, my parents were both so faithful um, in the way that they discipled me as a child, you know, was converted very young, Mm. six or seven years old. Um, and just faithful church attendance. You know, my dad was a pastor, but it wasn't, you know, was not just going through the motions, family worship on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've had, you know, many, many friends that grew up with me in the church, and I would say probably more than half of them have either fallen away or just Mm -hmm. don't, you know, don't take their faith seriously. Yeah. Um, And, you know, the... (laughs) I think it's tempting for parents and then also for people who look at the church and look at families within the church to say, you know, if we, if, if parents would just do these things, if they do A, B, C, and D and, and do the right formula with their kids, well, then their kids would grow up to be Christians. They wouldn't fall away from mm. the faith. And, you know, the spirit is like the wind and it goes where it wills and the, the Lord regenerates whoever he, he wills. Um, However, God does work, uh, and he uses means, mm. ordinary means, to save people. And I think through the family and just through the consistent discipling of, of children by their parents and getting mm. into the word of God and praying together, that is one way in which the, the spirit mm. works in the hearts of young children so that they uh, remain faithful to him. So you don't regret growing up in a faithful Christian home? Not at all. Yeah, okay. Very, very grateful for it. <laughs> yeah. Delano, tell us about that. I mean, your own assessment at this stage of your life, looking back, so yeah, I um I would agree in large part with what Graham said. Um, you know, I I found that some of the kids that that I grew up with, not just in my church, but just knowing other youth and you know sort of related churches in in Brooklyn and Queens, um, some of them have fallen away. Now, one thing I can say is this: sometimes, well, even after they've fallen away, they may hold on to certain uh, moral mm-hmm. principles, mm-hmm. Um, but they may not identify as Christians per se. Some may say I'm spiritual, but not religious. So it's it's sort of a a mixed bag, but I I am exceedingly grateful for growing up in the home that I did, Mm -hmm. being taught biblical truths, um, growing up around other believers and whether, regardless of whose home I went to, you know, some of my best friends' homes, we we got the same type of um, of discipleship regardless of whose home we were in. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very grateful f- for that background. I will say this, though. Sometimes it's difficult when you grow up in one, you know, spiritual context to um, grasp certain biblical truths that you weren't taught as, as a child. So for, I'll give a quick example. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't remember anyone ever explaining to me what constituted a biblical worldview mm. when I was a kid. Yeah. So that, that's something that came to later in life. Later in life, meaning probably within the last three to four years. Yeah. So, so there are certain things that I, I didn't necessarily get, and I'm, I'm, this is not a criticism at all, 
either of, of my parents or the people who, who helped raise me. But it's just, there's just certain ways in which, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, there's just certain things I didn't know. Yeah. And I'm learning them now. So when Graham mentioned, you know, family worship, that that type of um, regular practice was not something that, you know, I had on a, on a regular basis in, in my in my own home. It's something I'm trying to institute now with our children. But even that can be sort of difficult, mm-hmm. you know, just not just having the, the rhythm, but the consistency, mm-hmm. knowing that three children under six are not going to sit still for very long. <laughs> um, so, but those are things that I, that I desire for, you know, my children in our household, yeah. or even, even something like catechism. And I, and I know, um, you know, I, I think when, when we met at G3, you know, Pastor Tom, we, we, we talked about that, you know, and I tell you, my wife purchased, you know, the, your catechism, like that's, that's not something that, that I, you know, grew up around. So there's certain things, you know, I, I had a very, very solid foundation. Mm-hmm. And I think as is the case, oftentimes, and as should be the case, one generation should build on sort of the, the foundation of the previous generation. And, and that's really what I'm trying to do now with my own yeah. kids. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I, I haven't asked this question in a while. I'm probably going to do it now, having heard you say that uh, in a class that we're, we're doing right now in the church called uh, on parenting, just trying to get parents together and think through biblical principles. But I used to ask this question pretty regularly. How many of you grew up in a home with regular family worship? And if, if there were two or three people in a group of, of 50, it was, that was normal or unusual. Mm. Very often, nobody, nobody I was talking to had that experience. But that's been shifting over the years, which is a good sign. I think it goes exactly to what you said. I mean, I, I didn't mm-hmm. have that. And I remember when I was convicted of it, you know, we had a couple of kids and one was maybe three, one was one. And, uh, I just felt so guilty. I'd been reading the Puritans, you know, and hearing about this family worship. I think, okay, we gotta do this. We gotta do this. And mm-hmm. of course I'm thinking I need a full order of service. And who's going to pass the offering plate, you know, and, and the pastoral prayer needs to be 10 minutes, and, you know, and I'm killing my family. I'm just killing them. And, mm. you know, and then I'd get frustrated cause I'm thinking I'm the only spiritual one in this family. You know, my, my wife's mm. trying to deal with, screaming kids my kids are screaming and mad at me and and I'm mad at them and uh and it wasn't until a, a Presbyterian minister who had us in his home showed me how he did it and it was just like five minutes and I thought well shoot I can do that you know so yeah, yeah. that really began to help but yeah. it is one generation building on another there yeah and you know just uh for the listeners some resources if you're struggling with um being consistent in family worship it's easy to feel really guilty about that and you know Mm-hmm. Christ has died for our sins and he's yeah. forgiven us. And so we can recognize our sins, repent and move on. And Amen. Consistent. Amen. Um, one good resource would be the, the tag books you see there. Those are uh, catechism books for, mm-hmm. for children. They go through different successive ages. Um, but then also mm-hmm. Joel Beakey at Reformation Heritage mm-hmm. Books has a lot of great resources. He just came out with one recently. Um, and I think he's going to go through the whole Bible one on Genesis that, that we've been using. Oh, good. Um, and it's mm-hmm. just got a scripture reading, a little devotional and just questions. To ask. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. Jerry Mark. Salino has an excellent little booklet, too, on family worship. I think it's called The Missing Jewel, and uh, it's very good. Well, Delano, mm-hmm. one of the things that uh, – there are two things I want to ask you to address. One is the okay. content of your writing and of your speaking. I mean, you, you seem to be zeroed in on a certain area uh, that, that you're passionate about. Tell us about that, and, and what is that? What's your passion about it? Where is that coming from? Sure. 
So um, I think more than anything, my writing tends to center on issues of family, um, particularly marriage, family, fatherhood, um, and and faith. Th- those those are the things that tend to animate me the most. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, I started off writing with Black and Married with Kids um, because I I thought that the mission that that couple had was was a worthy one. You know, a lot of people you know, have, have seen or heard about, you know, some of the issues, you know, around family, particularly the, the Black family as it relates to, you know, since the 1960s, declining rates of marriage, increasing rates of um, out-of-wedlock births. Now, those things are increasing um, across, across all groups, yeah. but when you get to a point where basically three out of four Black children are born to parents who are not married, that, that has a lot of downstream effects. Yeah. And, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the reasons that, that I'm so passionate about it is because anyone with, you know, open eyes can, can see them. Um, children, you know, deserve to, to grow up in a household with their mother and father because every, every child has a mother and father. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they don't, and when that becomes the norm, when not having mom and dad together becomes the norm in a particular community, regardless of ethnicity or skin color, um, there are going to be consequences to that. So um, that tends to be the main thing that I, that I talk about. And, and from sort of that core, you know, emanates a bunch of other issues. So I've written, you know, um, columns on um, hip hop culture. I've written columns on um one of the ones I wrote a couple of days ago was on, you know, the, the fact that even within our conversations around justice, there seems to be an more sympathy for the the lawbreaker than there is for the law abiding citizen. Mm. Um, and that that has consequences as well. But, you know, in terms of the majority of my content, it, it tends to zero in on um, family and and fatherhood because as i said both of those things are important and they're both things that i can speak to you know from my personal experience yeah one of your recent articles uh early in december of 2021 was at the blaze and the title of it Mm -hmm. is black men in my generation must Mm -hmm. lead the battle against rad films blm and the groups out to destroy the nuclear family Mm -hmm. well that's a pretty blunt statement. <laughs> and uh, one of the things I admire about you and your writing is that you do speak plainly. You don't mince words. You don't try to nuance things to death. And yet you do it kindly. You know, you're, you don't uh, take cheap shots at people that disagree with you, but you don't mm-hmm. pretend like things are other than they really are. And so the Radfems, BLM, and the other groups that you mentioned, that's exactly what they're doing. They're trying right. to destroy the nuclear family. So let's talk a little bit about that article in particular, and then you know how you engage them and uh, what you're hoping to do as you engage them, and especially with this particular article. Sure. So, so that article really came out of um, a series of online interactions that I had. With, there's a, a, a self-professed radical feminist, you know, professor. Mm who was, was on a show um, and she made a claim that, you know, a, abortion 
is an important factor in sort of building and sustaining the black family. Mm. And obviously that, that those two things don't, don't go together. And, you know, I responded to the tweet by questioning whether this person was pro family. Cause I, I've read some of her work and she's talked about the fact that the nuclear family is, as she put it, going the way of the floppy disk, right? So becoming obsolete is something that we should celebrate. And, I, and I, I didn't understand why a person who claims to be, you know, in support of the black community would say something like that. And um, so as we were engaging, she basically said it plainly. She said, we don't need nuclear families for the black community to thrive. And I mean, that I was like a dog on a hand bone after that. <laughs> I said, really? So, you know, we, we had a couple exchanges back and forth. I asked her whether she thought, um, again, so it was, we were tying in a, a abortion and, and, and the nuclear family. I asked her whether she thought that um, human life has inherent worth. She totally dodged that question mm-hmm. and tried to move on to a different topic. So, so what really um, became clear to me is that this is a person whose views on family and, and life itself are just totally, you know, opposed to my own. And, and, and because this professor also claims to be a Christian, mm. it really um, disappointed me that she was putting this type of idea out into the public sphere. Mm. So that article really, part of it was to obviously talk about the importance of marriage and family. And I started by saying that our battle to become a more perfect union has ended up becoming a, a, a war against the marital union. Mm. And this is across the board, regardless of race or, or regardless of ethnicity or, or group. But the, the, the most heated battlefront has been in the black community, as, as I said, for the better part of 60 years. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, I just wanted to both talk about the importance of marriage and family, as I typically do, but also, and I thought this was very important, name the groups specifically who who have made it their business to fight against the nuclear family. Mm -hmm. And it may seem counterintuitive, but many of those groups claim to be working in the interest of the Black community. So Black Lives Matter and, and many, you know, viewers and listeners may know that when they when they posted their original 13 principles, one of them, which was under the sort of the Black Villages um, heading, said that they they're working to disrupt the, the Western nuclear family structure. Again, a very odd thing for a group that says that it it cares about Black life to be arguing against the nuclear family, just given the decades of research on the importance of the family and how children who grow up in, you know, with their married biological parents, particularly in, in low conflict marriages, um, tend to have the best social, economic, educational outcomes, you know, and certainly better than any other family structure. So that was one of the big things that Black Lives Matter, you know, promoted, which was the, basically the destruction of the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. Same with this radical feminist professor. Same with a lot of other um, black pr- professors, commentators, pundits, 
And even the ones who are not sort of actively fighting against the nuclear family, they, the, the, the people who were sort of um, in the middle, so to speak, they never actively promote it. So, so the one exception I would say is probably President Obama. Um, he talked a number of times about the importance of marriage and family and fatherhood um, as it relates to progress in the black community. Um, I, I appreciated that at the time and I, and I still do. But even when, whenever he did that, the criticism that he got for doing that always came from his left flank. It was always from um, other liberals. Yeah. And when, when you sort of take a step back, what you realize is that for people who feel that the main issues affecting the black community are issues of systemic racism, however they define that, or um, an, an inequitable distribution of resources, um, talk about marriage and families and fatherhood takes away from those things. Mm. And that's why they don't wanna do it because they think that the key to solving issues in the black community and I've said this the other day, and I was I wasn't trying to be um, controversial, but but I think it's true. They think that the key to solving issues in the black community are the keys to doing so are better white people and bigger government. Mm-hmm. So anything that takes away from that um, is something that they don't want to address. And I think that's one of the reasons that you'll see so much more emphasis put on people like Robin DiAngelo or Ibram X. Kendi um, or talk about, you know, equity in all different parts of society, but almost no space, particularly on the left, for talking about the importance of, of marriage and family and fatherhood. Mm-hmm. And, and I really just want to, to hit on that because, you know, I have kids, Lord willing, my children will have children. And the trajectory that we're on um, is not a good one as it relates to this country in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's important to raise some of these issues so that people are aware that just because an organization has a nice name um, and says that it's fighting for something, you need need to really look underneath the hood to make sure that um, its its values and beliefs and principles uh, match up with your own. Yeah, you know, you uh, the conflict of visions there is so stark. You, that the, the savior um, for some of these people is is a bigger government. If the if the government can be bigger, mm-hmm. it can be more powerful, then it can fix the problems that the black community is faced with. Um, but the stronger your families are, um, mm. and the more families you have, the less power the government's going to have. That that power mm-hmm. is going to be dispersed amongst the families because we know the family is the basic building block of of society, and so. Um, the weaker the family, it's almost a, a better um, if you want to see the government as the, the savior of, of society. It's fascinating, Delano, listening to you and even some of the people you mentioned. You know, the, they have intact families. It's right. Like we're not going to preach what we practice. Right, you know, right. We, we have it. We figured it out over here, whether intentionally or unintentionally. But we're not going to say anything that's going to suggest that, yes, you know, what we've discovered and found to be prosperous for our own lives or something that you ought to pursue. And it's pretty simple. I mean, it's been study after study of you, as you indicated, has shown 
that the formula for, for living generally well mm-hmm. in the world that God's created isn't that complicated. It's mm-hmm. not easy, but it's not that complicated. You don't have kids until you get married. Uh, get married, stay married. You know, get a job, keep a job, and work mm-hmm. hard. You know, be honest. I mean, just it, it's not complicated. Yeah, well, this you know, this is true both for economic status, educational status, etc., um, but also when it comes to religion as well. Um, there's a study done in Europe in the in the early '90s. Uh, I think it said that um, for for families in which a the father and mother are both regular attendees in a church, you know, at least 33% of their children will go on to also become regular worshipers in church. Mm. Mm. And only about a quarter or so of their children will fall away from the faith. Uh, Those families in which fathers uh, are not regular attenders, but mothers are, only about 2% go on to be regular worshipers, Mm. right? And so this Mm -hmm. is a different context. This is in Europe, but this is, you know, years ago. I know there are more recent studies. I think Lifeway has done some more recent studies. Uh, But the same holds true today, you know, especially when it comes to fathers, being involved religiously, um, going to church on a consistent basis with their children, father and mother together setting that example for their children. Um, the, the, The payoff for that when it comes to discipleship and evangelism within our communities is huge. Yeah. It's like we undervalue those normal means of grace, the things that God's revealed to us, and uh, we we think that there's alternatives to that that will be just as effective. Delano, one of the things that, again, I'm so appreciative of you and the way you conduct yourself in dealing with a lot of these issues is that you you treat the people you strongly disagree with uh, with respect. And so in this article we just mentioned, uh, this, this professor calls herself Professor Crunk, is that right? I'm not <laughs> yes. even sure what Crunk means. I'm sure it's got to have some meaning that I should know, but I don't know. Ask Hannah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, you 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 engage her ideas, and I think successfully expose them as being without foundation. But you, you don't attack her person. You know, you, you're not trying to score cheap shots and points just uh, by ridiculing her. Which, as I've gone and, and read a few of the things she's done. Um, it's a target rich environment for that type of thing. And yet you mm. avoided doing it. So tell us uh, about just some of how you how you process that as you engage what tend to be pretty controversial issues. Sure. So um, with, with engaging that professor in particular, um, you know, I, I tried to be, to be clear about the ideas that I was disagreeing with um, because I know I've seen her, I've read her writing, I've seen her on TV. She talks a lot about how she gets attacked personally, gets death threats, gets insulted for appearance. And I, and I actually saw some of that, you know, on, on our exchange. And it was disappointing because regardless of what people believe, all of the people that I disagree with are also image bearers. Amen. Um, they were, we were, we are all made by the same creator. All of us, our lives have, you know, inherent worth and dignity. And I never want to lose sight of that. Um, Because, you know, someone may be blinded to the realities of God's truth now, but God is a, is a good and gracious God. And at any point he could remove those blinders. And, And I don't want to be found having attacked and belittled someone that God is working on. And I certainly don't want to do that while bearing his family name so that people turn around and say, well, is this what it means to be, to be a Christian? Yeah. 
<clears throat> excuse me. So I, I try to be, you know, careful about doing that. Um, and, and that's, I, I, so I engage in the way that I do for based on a matter of principle. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's also a strategic element to it for me um, for, for the best way that I can explain it is using a, a, a boxing analogy. So for people who watch boxing, you know, if you've ever seen Floyd Mayweather fight, you know, he's a very, very good defensive fighter. And I, I try to, to write the way Floyd, May, Floyd Mayweather boxes, meaning I try to give my opponents as little hitting surface as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you expose yourself when you engage in ad, ad hominem attacks, when you start going after you know people's appearance, when you start doing anything that is not related to the core issue that you disagree with. So I try to avoid that at all costs because I know that people would much rather shift the focus away from defending their ideas and onto, you see, this person attacked me personally and and then they'll end up going back and forth with me. So um, in order to strategically to not do that, I don't engage in any of the ad hominem stuff because I want to ensure that if a person responds to me, that they're forced to respond to, to my ideas, which are typically a critique of their ideas. Um, so, I, I, so I engage in the manner I do for both reasons, primarily, as I said, because um, these people are image bearers, but also because I know they would love nothing more than for me to release them from having to defend their ideas yeah, by that's, that's attacking them personally. And actually, that's exactly what um, this particular professor did. She tried to link me to the people who were attacking her personally. And she even said that I know what I'm doing when I criticize her and that I like these yeah. personal attacks and that I'm basically sicking people on her. And I, I said, I'm, I've done nothing of the sort. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Well, so, that's, that's um, really good. And it's, uh, I mean, it just flows out of what it means to be a Christian, right? We're to love our Exactly. Enemies, and we're to love our exactly. Our speech is to always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. And I take that to mean the way you describe the boxing analogy. I, I, I talk in terms of, man, don't leave handles on what you mm. say or write that your critics can grab hold of and then just miss the point completely. You know, exactly. Move the handles to the best of your ability. And you do that really well. I, I think it's a model for us. And uh, I'm just delighted that I'm sorry it took so long in my life to uh, <laughs> become acquainted with you, but I'm delighted to make your acquaintance now and uh, count you a friend and, and love what you're doing in the public square, man. Uh, we just want to encourage you and say, keep it up. God's using you in wonderful ways. How can our folks that listen to the, this podcast connect with you? How can they follow you and find access to the things that you're doing? Sure. Um, they can follow me on Twitter um, at Delano Squires, D-E-L-A-N-O, S-Q-U-I-R-E-S. Mm-hmm. Um, I do most of my online interaction on Twitter. Um, same handle on Instagram. And I, I post, you know, my articles on a regular basis and also, you know, videos from Fearless with Jason Whitlock and, you know, other, you know, content. Um, so, yeah, that, that's probably the best place that they can follow me. Yeah. I'm always down to engage people. And it's, it's been really, you know, a really cool journey. When I was at G3, I met a number of people who had, 
you know, read some of my work. Mm-hmm. And, and it was really good to be, you know, encouraged by brothers and sisters from across the country yeah. Yeah. to continue on, you know, laboring um, in this way. And I and and you said this earlier when, when we got started. I really do see this as as a gift that God has given me. And I, I want to to you know steward it in the best way possible. So I'm I'm very thankful for that opportunity. Well, good. Well, we want to be your great encouragers in that. Uh, just keep going, brother. We appreciate Thank you. you. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us here on The Sword and the Trial. We look forward to uh, having another episode with you next week. Don't forget about the Founders Conference coming up. If you want to register for that before the increase, do so by December 31st. So thanks again for being with us.